Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon and welcome to Collaborative Connections radio show and podcast sponsored by KLM Consulting. We are coming to you live from Phoenix Business Radio X studios inside Max 6 and I cannot wait to jump in and talk to these three amazing people I have in the studio with me today. So I will jump right in. I'll go around the room for those of you who don't know my voice. I am Kelly Lorenz and I own KLM Consulting and I created the show to bring uh, business leaders nonprofits, associations, and people together to collaborate and and do good business and hopefully learn something. So our guests and listeners will hopefully walk away with a golden nugget. So anytime during the show, you guys have some wise words, jump in. But uh, Heidi, I'll start with you. I would love to have you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your um, business, who you're representing today, and we'll go from there. Well, thank you so much for having me on this program. And I think this is such a great idea in this day and age of everyone being so busy and a lot of technology to really have that personal touch and connecting is important for business and also to really help our community. So my background is in media. I have my own company, Swingo Media. And I was in television news for many, many years and talk radio and all of that. And then with age and with my family and people I love to age, I started really focusing on healthcare for that aging senior. And that's when I connected with Senior Living Connectors. And I am the spokesperson for this new platform, a coalition of really vetted out trusted resources, not just to help that senior aging navigate the emotional and physical challenges that come with aging, but also the adult children, the partner, the friend, the relative, or the caregiver who has that responsibility. So Senior Living Connectors is a way to help you navigate that. And I'm really a senior advocate today. Hey, I'm 61 years old. I guess I'm a senior too. That's my little elevator pitch and speech and why I'm here today. And really happy to be here because I think we have to really talk about this. Um, Boomers are aging and we need help. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on. And by the end of our introductions, you'll, you'll figure out all the the connections each other has (laughs) right off the bat. Thank you, Heidi. All right. Next up, Breck, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and your business. Yeah, I'd love to. And and thanks for having me on. This is a, a fun experience, not only because of the, the radio broadcast, but because of the podcasts that are made from this as well. And that is so popular right now, right? Everybody's listening to podcasts. I probably have about 12 waiting for me right now on my phone to catch up with. Um, and some of those are in our industry and some are just pure pleasure, right? Uh, so I'm a co-founder of a company called ServeRx. We're also in healthcare. Started uh, in healthcare about 20 years ago, um, working for a third-party payer, a company that was helping community pharmacies better serve their patients, specifically for workers' compensation. Uh, so there is a gap between the time that an injury happens before it's even on file with their payer or even sometimes their employer. 
So this little third-party payer helped fill that gap, made sure that the injured worker could get their their prescriptions today, not have to wait until tomorrow uh, or the next day, but could take care of them today. And then it would also benefit uh, the the pharmacies dispensing the medication because they wondered how they were going to get paid for that. Uh, And so this was a company, it was called Third Party Solutions, uh, started a little over 20 years ago, and and I helped develop their whole community pharmacy division. It ended up growing very rapidly, and just about every pharmacy in the nation used uh, used this service uh, to bill for uh, for the workers' compensation claims. Um, and then a big pharmacy benefit manager, a PBM, saw the opportunity to gather all of that information, all those first bills, and funnel them into their networks. So they could obviously make more money. So that company was bought and there was a need for a a new and improved third-party payer out there. And that's why we started ServeRx. So ServeRx is a local Phoenix-based company, but we work with pharmacies all over the United States. Uh, We have 15,000, 16,000. We actually have over 20,000 under network, but uh, not everyone needs to use workers' compensation as a a third-party payer. So maybe they're in geriatrics. Uh, and or maybe they're a pediatric pharmacy, and so there's not a need for. Um, we don't have sweatshops here in the U.S., do we? No. Yeah, so, <laughs> so pediatric pharmacy doesn't usually fit real, real well with workers' comp. But in those 20 years, we have uncovered a dirty little multi-billion-dollar secret, and I'm I'm going to be excited to tell you guys about that here in a little bit. <laughs> Good lead. Cliffhanger. Yes, a lead line. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for being on with us today. And Kimberly, tell us a little bit about you and your business. My name is Kimberly Mitchell. My husband and I own and operate together a home care agency called Home with Health. So it's a non-medical agency and We typically help seniors to stay independent at home. Not all, like not all of our clients are only seniors. Some of them are younger, recovering from some kinds of surgery or procedure or whatnot. We are a proud member of the Senior Living Connectors that Heidi is a spokesperson for. And yay, yay, one of the vetted uh, home care agencies through that membership. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Exciting to have you on. So I'm Kelly Lorenzen. I own KLM. We're a business development firm here in Phoenix. And I brought all of you together because I am passionate about connecting entrepreneurs, connecting business leaders in the community to do business together, to do good business. So I um, and funny how this world gets smaller and smaller the longer we're in Arizona, right? So Heidi and I got to work together a tiny little bit, uh, family business, medical practice back in, I don't know, was that 2007 or 2008? I don't it was know how a long, long ago. time ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I was a baby. <laughs> uh, so when her name came across my desk again, because Kimberly uh, is a client of mine and said, hey, you know, we're part of the Senior Living Connectors, connect with Heidi. And she emailed me. I said, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to hang out with you again. <laughs> what a small world. And then uh, I was at a local first event because I love supporting, uh, you know, 
small business, clearly. <laughs> um, and uh, met, got to meet Breck, and he started talking about healthcare and all these new things. You're gonna, you left us with a cliffhanger that I'm so <laughs> excited to hear. And I said, "Oh my gosh, you need to meet Heidi and Kimberly, and I am gonna connect you guys on the show together." <laughs> so. So that's the way that's the way it went down. So Heidi, for you, back to your senior living connectors, the draw was you see this need. We all need to start talking about this. You said, um, what is what does that mean? What is this? Well, I think anybody who is listening right now, all of you in the room, we have a touch point with a senior who is struggling facing a challenge. There was a recent uh, series, well, quite a while ago, several years ago, that ABC did called Seniors Living to 90. We're living longer, we're aging. As baby boomers, part of the sandwich generation, we're taking care of our kids, and you might be younger than a baby boomer age, and we're taking care of our parents. But more importantly, aging is complicated, and we've all had a personal experience. My mother, eight years with dementia, a brilliant, amazing academically off the charts, fab lady, and she declined. And it was very hard on the family. My sister diagnosed to death six weeks at 72 with pancreatic cancer, stage four. So you have these personal experiences and you also watch families. Look at HR, there's talent shortage around the country. And yet one of the main reasons people who are getting trained, talented, have to leave work is because they're taking care of a senior. And as I age and my family ages, what I'm seeing more and more of is the stress and the difficulty to just kind of navigate through. It's a story that we're not talking about. We're talking about the pandemic. We're talking about COVID-19. But the news person in me is saying, what about the real ripple effects after COVID? For a care home, what about the caregiver? What about people in the senior industry, the vulnerable population? So to me, I really appreciate this kind of opportunity to tell real stories because we all have a heart stake in it. And if you aren't going through something now, you will, whether it's somebody you love or it's yourself. And I feel like we're not aware of it. And we have got to become more aware and know the tools to kind of work with. It's sort of like whether it's a pharmaceutical world or what's the difference between the different types of care. And Kimberly, I know that's an area you're in. I never really understood that until I had to go through it with my mother. Was it assisted living? Was it somebody coming in the home? What kind of support could we give her? Was it going to be a full-on dementia care facility and memory care unit? It was a whole education. People don't know it, don't get it until they're in it. And I think they need to do a little more preventative education out there. We were just talking about that last night, weren't we, uh, Kimberly, about people not understanding, you know, ahead of time that there is this help, number one, you know, that there is even availability of this help. You know, somebody said to you last night, what's a caregiver? What does that mean? You know, home care agency, right? And that was an aha to me because I had already been through it with my grandma and obviously you're a client. So I'm very, very well 
aware, but there are, like you said, Heidi, there are people out there that don't even know that that's a thing, you know? So, so advocating for getting help for our family members is huge. Tell us a little bit about, you know, for like back to the basics, right? What is a home care agency? What, what is, what are the professional caregivers do? Well, to your point at first that, you know, people, you know, they don't know what they don't know. And, and then until you're kind of thrown into a situation, usually very personal situation, and then you have to navigate and figure it out. And the thing that I love about the Senior Living Connectors is it's a place to help the senior to try to figure out if they need what we provide, which is home care and on a non-medical basis or placement or a variety of the other you know services that are out there. So I think the biggest sort of confusion and misconception is when somebody says home care, there's a lot of services that are provided in the home. So there's uh, private duty, non-medical home care, which is what we do. So that's bathing, dressing, meal prep, light housekeeping, transportation, doctor's appointments, things of that nature. Then there's more of the home health, which is more the medical, physical therapy, occupational therapy, those uh, kinds of uh, wound cares, those kinds of things. Nowadays, of course, there's mobile everything, <laughs> mobile dentist, mobile x-ray, and there's all kinds of things. And I think the the home care and the home health are probably the the two biggest confusion of, of what they are. And then, of course, who pays for them or the differences yeah. of how they get paid for is, is always exactly. a big misconception. And, too. And, and I think so many people think something either is not covered by insurance, not affordable. And that's where the whole insurance world to me is still confusing as, and I know with my mom, to your point, Kimberly, you know, we had somebody come just in the home for a while, non-medical, you know, and it, we weren't really sure where to go, where to start. We had a recommendation. It was really tough to know what questions to ask and was it covered? So how does that work? We have two parts of our business. So one is the, the private pay side and one is the access or Altec side. So on the private pay side is it, it is a cash, you know, I say cash, but you know, private right. paid by family mm-hmm. or friends or whatnot. That's what we did. That's right. what we did. And it, it, it actually was a lot more affordable than where our mother ended up going at the end of the day. And I always wondered, did she get any better care? You know, it was, you kind of go back and forth with that. Um, finally for memory care, she did, but she went to an interim place and I, we really questioned ourselves sure. on those decisions, you know? Sure, sure. I would say that we are more cost effective up to a certain point. And then if if somebody is in the need of a 24-7 care, right. the ones that money is not a, an issue, then that's not an issue. But for most of us, at some point, it's going to be less expensive to move to a, a group home or assisted living or, you know, some mm-hmm. something of that nature. And we right. just talked about that, too, last night. Like, whoa, oh, we better put away money. <laughs> you know, right. like, I don't want to live, leave, you know, move out of my house. I better. So I said in the line item in our financial plan, I'm like, is there a line item for caregiving at home, please? <laughs> uh, yeah, because the gentleman that was speaking, I'm not sure exactly how old he was, but I would guess somewhere in the around 50. And he was like, oh, I better, you know, think about that for myself. And I was like, well, 
what I would suggest at this point is, is that you think about how you're going to pay for it because it's, mm -hmm. it's definite. I mean, it's a, it's a high cost, you know, it de yeah. I mean, depending on what the needs are, of course, people it's that have. Also interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. No, um, that's okay. I was just going to say, really what you're talking about is something we've talked about at Senior Living Connectors. And that is everybody has a retirement plan down to the T when I'm going to pull the trigger, how much I need all of that. No one has an aging plan. When I ask so many of my peers that, what's your aging plan? They say, oh, I've, I've got my retirement plan. I've got, I said, no, no, no. What's your aging plan? And are you planning for these kinds of things that will occur? And I'm surprised when a lot of people say, well, I sure don't want to go to an assisted living facility. I'm going to stay home. Well, you know, that's going to be an expense. Is that in your retirement plan? So to your point, it's just kind of interesting how that plays out. Talk about prevention and, you know, yes. and having the the insurance and stuff. Uh, tell us about the the workers' comp side of things. You know, it does, I always think of workers' comp as something for somebody like my husband had a, a commercial electrical business. He needed to provide workers' comp, clearly. But is it a need for more than just people in the, you know, like manual labor? And and how do you guys serve them? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, workers' comp is one of those entitlement programs, right? It only exists here in the United States. Uh, other parts of the world really don't have workers' compensation. And it's the trade-off um, that the injured party isn't going to sue their employer and accept the benefits through workers' comp. And so that's why employers have to carry work comp policy. Um, a lot of them are self-insured, right? So it comes out of their own pocket. Or you could have a big carrier like Liberty Mutual, Travelers, Hartford, someone like that that's, that's the underwriter. Um, some people also use a, a, a policy that will allow them to cover up to a certain you know, pain point, right? And they say, okay, I can handle up to $250,000 uh, in-house. So that would be self-insured to that point. And then it would roll over to one of the big carriers for a catastrophic uh, injury. And pre-COVID, uh, there were quite a few injuries that actually has come down. I guess OSHA can put a shiny star up that, mm. you know, they're keeping the country safer. No, it's people are staying home. <laughs> it has nothing to do with keeping the country safer. But, but yeah, so, but the overall pharmacy cost, which then does the overlap with, with what we're talking about here in healthcare in general, that overall pharmacy cost depends on who the payer is, right? And it's like a lot of services, if you were to cash pay for something, um, let's say that you needed a procedure, a surgery, surgery or something like that. If you ask what the cash pay price is, it's going to be different than what they bill the insurances for. And so is that was going to be my question to to both of you in the, in the senior living side of the, uh, is is that also an option, you know, if the if someone is just has put that money aside and they're able to uh, to just pay for facilities, pay for home care, um, and they're just going to pay out of cash and not use a, a a insurance program, is there a difference in cost or is it about the same? Well, there there is no insurance that pays for the non medical home help or uh, assisted living. 
uh, Medicare pays for all of your medical Medicare, needs, yeah. right? But not mm-hmm. not not what we do, and then not in the you know group home or assisted living kind of setting. Unfortunately, right. uh, some people have long term care insurance policies. Older ones are usually better. The ones nowadays, in, in my experience of what I know of them, are, are much more expensive expensive, and don't cover as much is part of the problem. So, you know, really either an access will cover, um, if you're on Altex, that will cover for non-medical help. So either you need to be on, on one edge of the, you know, spectrum or, or the other, either be qualifying uh, for access to get help or have enough money to pay for it because right. there's really nothing, no insurance or whatever kind of in the in the middle to help with those costs. Yeah. Isn't that so I, sad? I yeah. Yeah. I, I know a few years ago, um, I was well acquainted with a, a doctor who was a mobile physician and catered specifically to um, the senior population, the elderly population in assisted living homes and did that through, uh, you know, Medicaid and all of that. But he said there was a trend in practices for cash offering a discount because of the navigation of insurance and all of the changes that have been taking place. Um, especially with dual insurances, if you have a supplemental insurance tied to Medicare, and that that was a trend. This was a few years ago. I don't know if that's um, um, turning out to be true, that it was going to be more of a pay for service and a lower discounted fee, to your point or question earlier. Do you know if um, some of the 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 more strategic life policies where they're more of a living policy rather than death benefits only. If, if you can pull money out of those to help pay for some of these home care services. Yeah. So I think some of the newer um, long-term care plans that have the, I think their IUL maybe is one of the acronyms, but it's kind of an all-in-one. So there is the death benefit, and obviously occasionally somebody passes away, but there's also living um, where you can take money out to pay for not just your, you know, home aging kind of services, but, you know, all kinds of things, buy a new car or whatever. Survival. (laughs) Right? Um, As opposed to the old long-term care insurances that most of my, you know, 80, 90-year-old seniors have, it's when they pass away, that if they didn't use it all, it's gone. And there's, you know, they can only get so much per day or per week or whatever their policy happened. You know, there's more restrictions right. on what they've got. Yeah, yeah, it's nice now to have, like mine, you can take out money for for whatever you need, you know, and use borrow against it. And I mean, I don't even think that's right, the right word, but, you know, use it and not have to pay yourself back, I think. Yeah. But that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rack, you that left is. us, you left us hanging. So come on, tell us what's new at ServRX besides the workers' comp. Yeah. So, you know, our focus has been work comp and, and when they're, when the first third-party payer was was acquired, the grandfather of our industry, it left a hole, and that was the whole reason we started ServeRx was to fill that that hole. But uh, the new owner, I had a non-compete, right? So I had to be be very cautious about what I did in the marketplace. But the new owner was a big PBM. There's three PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers, 
that's PBM acronym is. So the, they're one of the three big and three of them manage 80% of the lives nationwide. So there's an issue there. We, it's a whole nother segment. But one of those bought this third-party biller. Even though I had a non-compete, they also filed a temporary restraining order. I got slapped with a TRO because they didn't want me to go out and tell the pharmacy industry. I, I sat down with every major pharmacy chain and independent pharmacy group in the nation on a quarterly basis to do their business reviews. They did not want me going out telling them this dirty little secret. Oh, my gosh. So. Wow. So I had to live out this whole TRO to not tell, you know, the truth of what's going on. But literally the reimbursements that they were used to getting as as a reimbursement for for managing and, and taking care of the, the pharmacy needs of an injured worker uh, went from, you know, the average 50 or $60 per script price to $4 or less. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that the PBM wanted to put that extra money in their own pocket. Imagine this. You're a, a pharmacy owner, Bashes, right here in town. They're, they're a partner of ours. Great, great company. Um, they have uh, all these grocery stores all over the state in rural areas and, and right here in, in Metro. Um, they own their own pharmacies, too. So there's pharmacies in about 42 of their, of their locations. So... In the old system, which they're still under the thumb right now for another year, they would have a, an employee at the warehouse. Let's say an employee's moving a, back, a box of apples and he strains his back. And so he goes to the doctor. The doctor gives him a prescription. Maybe it's a, a muscle relaxant and some, some pain medicine to take care of the, the issue. So that employee then, that Bash's employee, goes to the Bash's pharmacy and Bash's dispenses their Bashes paid for medication to their Bashes employee, um, and then they process it through a PBM. That PBM pays them $4 for that prescription. Oh, my gosh. It's their own drug that they dispensed. They get $4 back on that. And then corporate gets a bill for $95 for that same prescription. No way. So it's basically selling your own drug to the PBM for $4 and buying it back for $95. And why would you do that? But that's how every program is set up. Uh, In fact, there's gag clauses in the pharmacy contracts. So if you're a network pharmacy, you've got to honor your contracts. They'll kick you out of network. That's how much control they have. They'll kick you out of network and you can't even process for all of the health care claims. And, you know, workers' comp is only maybe 1% of all the scripts. So you need all those United Healthcare patients. You need all those Aetna and Blue Cross Blue Shield. You need those, those to be open as a pharmacy. But yet you'll have a gag clause in there that says you cannot tell the patient their cash price for the medication until... Is that legal? Clearly not. Not anymore. Sound like it so with the help of us shining yeah. light on this with the National Community Pharmacist Association, 200,000 pharmacies, pharmacists nationwide are now starting to get legislation passed, but not until recently. I mean, it's literally been within the last two years 
that they're starting to pass legislation to remove those gag clauses. And, and you, you, there's DIR fees. What is a DIR? I have no idea, but the PBM can literally claw back reimbursements. I think it's when they get to the end of the quarter, they look and see, have we made the profit margin that we, you know, one PBM, I don't want to mention any names, but their initials are Optum RX. They, 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 they uh, uh, they only made $136 billion last year in a downturn economy. Oh. $136 billion with a B. And that's just the PBM. That's not even the life insurance part or the uh, healthcare side of the business. Uh, there's really a broken system right now, and it's the middlemen. One of the largest chains in the nation, largest pharmacy chain in the nation, they have over 10,000 locations. They sell everything from prescription medication to toilet paper and Twizzlers. They sell it all. 80% of their profit margin comes from one little PBM in Scottsdale, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Wow. 80% of the profit of a 10,000 store location. There's a broken system. We can fix it. You just got to take the hands of those middlemen out of the pot. So when the wow. contract runs through for bashes, we can now go in and say it's a straight pass through. You tell us what the cost of the medication is. That's what we'll process the claim for. Oh my gosh. Good job. Good for you. <laughs> so how how is it going to happen now? So, you know, from now on and well, some of these people I've named will probably have me offed now, but <laughs> because it's billions of dollars, right? It, it, honestly, it, they have a lot of of clout and power, and they're spending millions of dollars with with legislation and with you know uh, advocates that are going in there telling all the reasons why they need to be in the in the in you know the mix. Um, another Arizona example: um, up until this past year. Uh, a physician who was treating uh, workers' compensation patients that um, have a hard time even getting to the provider. So example would be a, a anesthesiology pain practice that is doing spine blocks on patients that have severe you know, pain. And so they're literally going in and, and doing spine blocks. Well, then they you know, prescribe an a, a, a anti-inflammatory or something else. But it's so miserable for that patient to then go from the doctor's office, then over to the pharmacy, wait a couple of hours for the prescription to be filled. Uh, there, the state allowed that there be these little um, point of care pharmacies, so the doctor's office could have a small little locked cabinet behind a locked door that that would have some of these these medications that are needed for some of these. A practice that happened actually before um, there was a retail brick and mortar pharmacy. You know, little house on the prairie doctor, right? He brought his bag and he had the pharmacy right in his in his bag. So that's been going on since the very beginning of time. The PBMs legislated that out of the state of Arizona. So a doctor cannot, they cannot even take care of that patient anymore because it was bypassing their networks. They wanted all to go through their networks so they can make their $90 here and another $90 there. Oh man! You know, I think the other piece that is really coming to light and a very interesting story that you just shared is as you look at the world of medicine as a whole, I know that everybody is a specialist or is this 
the right way. And a lot of times when you navigate the care process, it can be confusing. It can be difficult. One of the things um, that I've learned is when you go through this kind of process, whether it's a pharmaceutical issue, which is getting mixed meds, wrong meds, I can't afford the meds. We know that story. Pain is big in America, but also how you navigate the system. Have I known there was something called a patient advocate or somebody who had the smarts, even, even your knowledge you're talking about in the pharmaceutical world? No idea. Education, awareness, and I go back to some of the people I know in the legal arena, for example, at Senior Living Connectors or in the medical realm, that patient advocate who can help you navigate the system and say, hey, wait, heads up, there's an issue here. So yes, you definitely have to expose any corruption that's out there. And there's a lot of it all over the world, all over the planet. And how do you, and I go back to prevention, and stay proactive in your journey in that medical arena, whatever piece and part that you're exposed to or that you get involved in. And I think the more people get educated, the more change will be affected ultimately in the end for whatever area of industry you're in. So I know, for example, whether it's the fiduciary, elderly law attorney that's more than trust in estates making the big decision, or it's your medical plan of care and that one specialist how many times have you heard the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing? You know, with my sister, we couldn't get a diagnosis and she was dying and she was in pain. So we just didn't know how to handle it. And we were, you know, desperately rattling cages to get to the right oncologist who was out of town, who had this, then this person couldn't give the diagnosis were we not being told the truth or were we not educated enough to say enough? I need this answer. So whatever battleground you're fighting, we still, I think the best defense is to really be educated and to share this kind of information. I agree. So we can understand, wait a minute, this is what's happening when I pay for this. this is, that's how I think you really go to the next level. I mean, people have powerful lobbyists. We know Big Pharma has a lot of power. A lot of different medical groups do. A lot of companies do. Tech giants, all of that. How do we as a community not stay passive, but become proactive in a positive way to help educate and mitigate some of this stuff in the future, right? I, I think that's really, really important having platforms to do that. I mean, I'm really amazed at how clueless I know I am about how the medical world works. And I've been in healthcare. I know a lot of people in town. I've worked with a lot of healthcare companies. I still feel naive. How do we change that for people who have no exposure and are just automatically saying, okay, I guess I do this. I guess I do this. You know? Having the having these conversations, having the spokespeople to actually say and be okay saying, <laughs> they may come after me, but I'm going to say it anyways. Have the the whistleblowers, you know, that I just heard about from um, a PR summit I just went to, you know, from the VA doing a lot of not good stuff, you know, and Facebook, and whatever. We need these advocates. We need these people to tell the stories of what this is what's right. 
right? Uh, I just, mm-hmm. I just uh, did a quote today. There's no right way to do the wrong thing in business, right? There's just not. And so if we can all surround ourselves with each other and start, you know, and start talking about it, same with you, Kimberly, I know there's not a lot of oversight um, for the home care industry. Can you tell us about that? No, there's a, I have, there's very little oversight. If you, if you're just a private duty home care agency, there's nobody checking anything at all whatsoever. We do have a local association here. Uh, the acronym is ASNAHA. We have a national association that's uh, HCAOA. So they're basically home care associations for Arizona and for the nation. Being a member of those, they do have requirements of certain insurances and workers, you know, compensation being one of them. Uh, we have to, all the employees have to be W-2 employees so that they will have all of those coverages. So, you know, you'll hear the stories of a caregiver falling in a client's home and them going after their homeowner's insurance because they don't have any, you know, uh, liability insurance or any of that, you know, that kind of stuff. So with the associations, we have the W-2 requirement and they, they, they check that you have insurance. They don't really check the level or we, we don't have a... a, a a minimum, I guess I should say. I was going to ask that question. There should be some kind of a standard of, of coverage, right? There should be. So the only the only real oversight are agencies that are also contracted through Access and Altex because those insurance companies contracted with them, they do require uh, certain levels of insurance. And then they they're checking what everybody should automatically be doing like background checks, um, APS checks, you know, making sure everybody has CPR training, you know, all the things that everybody would just assume that the caregiver has gone through when they go to your home. Uh, But there's nobody checking unless it's one of the insurances through the state. Isn't that crazy? There's no no licensure, right, for um, non-medical home care, right? I know. I, when she told me that, because I was like, you know, I do all of Kimberly's marketing. I was like, what are all these, you know, symbols and what are all these things on your website? And she's like, oh, you know, we're a member of of HCOA and Asnaha and we, you know, contract with Altex and all these things. And I'm like, that's so incredible. Why? And they're like, because they're at least, you know, keeping us accountable and holding us to a higher standard than, you know, looking it up. But I wouldn't have known that, you know, I didn't know that when we hired somebody for, for my grandma, you know, I don't think the general population knows to even think about asking those questions when they're in, when they're interviewing home care agencies or when they're going to a pharmacy or, you know, or the patient advocate like you talked about, Heidi. I just don't think that there that people are talking about it and telling the and telling those stories. Are there HIPAA compliant policies that you have to follow in being a non medical provider? Do you still have to be, you know, keep patients' rights and, and information protected? Yeah. I mean, we don't we're not we're not really given a lot of medical history and whatnot necessarily. Right. So a, I think like our software and all, all of that, you know, from a security, you know, standpoint and whatnot. And then, you know, obviously the paperwork and whatnot that we have caregivers sign that, you know, whatever 
information that they learn while they are helping ex-family that, you know, that's not something that gets shared. For the most part, we're only doing non-medical and and don't have that. Now, if we get a referral from like a rehab facility that they're, you know, on their way home after whatever their procedure and whatnot was, um, we will be given some of the the medical understanding so that we can work with the home health that's going to come in and do physical therapy. And, you know, we can all right. kind of be proactive, which is, you know, kind of the right. theme of the conversation. But since there's not really licensure for non-medical, I mean, no one's, we're doing the right thing because you know, I'm a big believer in karma, but there's not really somebody like <laughs> checking that I am, you know. Well, and, and unfortunately, there's a lot of mediocre among great people like you that have a conscience, Kimberly, you know, all of you that are saying, okay, let's really keep a standard of care. But unfortunately in Arizona, like a lot of other places, when it comes down to regulation, a lot of people are offering services and they really aren't vetted out and qualified. And that's why these associations like, is it Osraha you were talking about? I know um, Scott Fisher, our, um, the co-founder of Senior Living Connectors has passers for you know home placement, how to raise that standard. And as you were talking about asking the right questions and knowing the right questions to ask, the other really pervasive thing in the room the elephant in the room that no one wants to acknowledge is what's been termed the silver tsunami. Have you heard that? It is the baby booming, the baby boomer population, the largest population, 1948 to 1964 is now getting really old. So, (laughs) and they're living longer and they are a silver tsunami, but they don't have the savings their parents did. Assisted living with the spike in dementia and Alzheimer's you know, $6,500 a month is something that's very difficult for an average aging person to cover. Insurance, savings, boomers are a whole different type of generation. The vet population and everything that's happened there, where we are as a country with mental health. And let's not forget that word addiction. And we're talking about medical addiction to drugs and everything that's happened. So I feel the elephant in the room is this silver tsunami and how are we really going to handle it? Because right now it's the tip of the iceberg. And if we are indeed living longer with less quality of life and less resources, we're going to have to come up with new models, new platforms, better education because it affects everyone. The impact on a family. You know, we always talk about the kid moving back home. But the double dip, it's mom and dad, and it's our kids, and it's ourselves aging. How do we navigate and handle this? And it usually takes a team to help you get through it. It's not just one person. And the other thing that's happening, and I'm sure, um, Kimberly, you're experiencing this, and maybe you all are, and that is the talent pool shortage. I've heard that finding caregivers are, it, it is it is a tough ask right now. And, and again, every industry from restaurants to media to tech companies, everybody's having issues. But when you are caring for someone, we really underestimate 
the job of the caregiver. It's kind of like teachers in this country, I think. I think we really, you know, we have to be careful not to undervalue these people who are helping others. So I don't know if that, you know, rings or resonates with all of you, but I feel like this is why we have to have more of these, not just conversations, but really raising consciousness because we are going to have, excuse me, I didn't turn my phone off, I'm back. Uh, we, we're going to have these issues and they are going to impact society in a much larger way. It's already happening. So I think that's, that's the other piece of this whole silver tsunami and seniors and why they are so critical just as much as our future generation and all of us in between. And it's a big impact. Hey, so I would be interested to hear your thoughts and feedback on, on all of that. You know, you certainly touched a nerve with us with there not being enough care providers, uh, not enough workers, not enough people to reopen the dining rooms of, of McDonald's for goodness sakes. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's really a sad situation right now. And, so easy to blame it on the pandemic, but we, you know, if you're going to pay somebody double what they would have made on unemployment uh, than just two years ago, uh, it's hard to get that quality of people to want to come back. I even heard of yesterday, uh, people, um, you can, you can actually go out and, and look on some kind of website to see that Amazon is short on drivers and you can pick up a route and just in your own personal car, car go pick up a couple of packages and deliver them. How safe is that now? But anyway, they, yeah, it's a, it's a, a nerve for us because we process workers' comp claims. We need people to go back to work. So, you know, it's a little bit kind of the double-edged sword, right? That people have to get hurt for us to even process a claim. But uh, we, we just need the economy to get back on track and we need people to go back to work. We need businesses to reopen. We need restaurants to be open um, and, and we need the economy to, to just get revitalized again. Absolutely. And tell us your new thing to be able to help that, I think. Yeah, we haven't even touched on that, have we? Uh, um, so um, this is a community service that we provide to to any uh, business. Um, uh, for us to provide the medical staff, we would need groups of 40 to 50 uh, employees, but we do free COVID testing. So that's one of our, our community services is as a free PCR uh, COVID test. Um, you know, it, it does take two or three days to get those results back, but we augment that with some rapid tests uh, so that you, if an employee is saying, hey, I've got a scratchy throat, I just don't feel right, and they their PCR test hasn't come back from the lab yet, uh, just pull out a rapid test, quickly do a swab, and within, you know, five six minutes you have a, uh, have the results. Uh, that way you can cut down on your loss time, which is really expensive to employers. Um, but yeah, we, we would provide that as a community service, totally free. It doesn't cost the employer anything or the employee. We just want to try to help people reopen. Isn't that a cool program? <laughs> That's really awesome. And, and kind of building on the positive vibe of that. I know that's why Senior Living Connectors was created to really help people find solutions with quality uh, providers and healthcare workers. So uh, oftentimes you don't really know what you need until you can call someone and get an idea. So we have a clinician. And again, this is free of charge. You can 
really get guided in the right direction. It doesn't cost anything. And we have a clinician with a background in healthcare to really say, okay, Mary, you've got a parent who's really struggling. You need to look at home options. I'm going to connect you with this person or you've just moved your you know, parent from another state. You need to check insurance the way Medicare works here. You need a power of attorney. All these things you might not think of. So what are little positive things we can do to up the game, up the standard, and provide it for free? So I think it's wonderful that you're doing the COVID testing for free. That's great. I know that's what we're doing. We're sharing resources and information and education so you can custom fit your needs and what your insurance is or what it isn't, what it isn't through this platform, Senior Living Connectors. So I think that's another positive thing that doesn't cost anything. Yeah, that's awesome. Free information. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, exactly. (laughs) And what was the minimum of the quote for COVID? We'll help any company, but if it's less than 40 or 50 employees will send you to one of our participating pharmacy partners and then they'll do it for you. Uh, but for us to come to your place of work, your business, it needs to be 40 or 50 because we'll, we'll send out a, a nurse or a, a medical provider to do the, the collection. Uh, but if you're a, a, you know, a company of 10 people, we'll, we'll just send you to one of our closest pharmacies and have them uh, do the swab there. Such a nice ad for people because, you know, Kimberly, I know you guys with 130 employees and trying to always find caregivers, you're like always struggling with, okay, what do we do? What's coming? You know, how do we keep these people? How do we find new people? Something that might help you too, Kimberly. I don't know. We promoted this to the restaurant industry, right? So that we can kind of build uh, consumer confidence, go back to your local restaurants is that uh, we we printed up these little stickers that say, I've been tested, I'm COVID free. Um, and they just wear the little sticker if they're a server. And so if, if that's something that would be beneficial to you, I don't know if if any of your um, patrons are like, hey, is this person safe coming in here? Um, but yeah, we'd be happy to, to help with whatever, whatever we could to make sure that that your customers feel comfortable with your staff coming in. Sure, yeah, for the most part, being in the private homes, I mean, we don't have the 150 caregivers all in one spot. Right. They're, you know, we have, the, they're all around Maricopa County. We clients and caregivers the same. Uh, I would say that it's probably a lot are vaccinated already. So there's, you know, not a huge, but I was just thinking in my head when I was asking of how many for more of like one of the larger assisted living places. I wondered if you're trying to get into some of those kind of communities that have that amount of employees in one place. Yeah, it's it's a it's a a service that we're providing, and and so we'd gladly take it anywhere. I even reached out to my my son's own school district and said, "Hey, let me help you with this because they're going back to school." And this was several mm-hmm. months ago, of course, and and it just never got going. And I wondered why I'm going to offer it for for free, and I'm kind of selfishly wanting my son to be protected and sure enough he gets covid and and it's not it wasn't bad it's not bad on on at least his age group or at least he handled it really well um but for the most part it was fairly mild it just kicked him out of school for a week he's in ap classes that put him so far behind and so i call up the person that handles the whole all of the nurses for the district and i'm like 
now I'm really upset. We could have put this in place, and now my son's home. And come to find out that uh, that it was somebody high up that she reports to that his friend was going to put this program in place, and it just never happened. So, um, so that you know, politics is in everything, right? And and even when you're trying to help somebody and give them something free, but it's a it's a community service that we will provide to whoever needs it, and if. I'm not an advocate for overreaching government policies, <laughs> but uh, if OSHA does pass the president's mandate and employers with 100 employees or more either have to be fully vaccinated, and we all know the political nonsense going on with that and all the canceled flights with Southwest, and and we, uh, I per- that personally affected me, but if they don't have the vaccine fully vaccinated, they need to do a weekly testing protocol. Uh, now's the time to put that in place, not when it becomes, and again, I hope it doesn't. I think it's an overreach, and it, that's my own political statement there that government shouldn't have that much control. But if OSHA does follow the, the president's mandate and you need to either have full vaccination or a, a testing uh, protocol, put that in place now. Don't wait until it becomes a mandate because everyone will be backlogged and you may not be able to be compliant. Yeah. Speaking of community and doing things for just for the greater good, um, Heidi, I know you're involved with a, quite a bit of things and I know Breck, you are and Kimberly. So I'd love to hear um, from each of you um, uh, two of your passions at the moment for in the community. I really um, am really so about supporting seniors and I believe in Generation Next. So I'm a true sandwicher. So I really like working with Senior Living Connectors because I feel it fulfills that need. And watching my mother and my sister die within a year of one another really changed me and changed my life. And so I do that through Senior Living Connectors, but I also work with the Honor Health Foundation and do a lot of grant videos. So I do video marketing and really really believe in their uh, cause at Desert Mission. Desert Mission is a food bank. They also help families um, with new children. They provide supplies and foods through donations. They have an adult daycare center that is just phenomenal. My mother went there and it's a place for somebody with dementia to go and have engaging activities. And they have a preschool called the Lincoln Learning Center. And for those families who need to get their child kindergarten ready, who come from that lower socioeconomic level, it's a great opportunity for a child to get a fresh start and a good shot at a good education. So I would say right now at this stage in my life, anything I can do to help serve, serve seniors and give young people the confidence move past anxiety and succeed. That really is why I feel I'm here on the planet today. Not to say that I don't have fun and love doing video projects and all of that, but those are my two, I would say, points of passion and trying to give back to the community. Isn't that nice when you're an entrepreneur and you own your own company, you can do those, all those things. Absolutely. (laughs) That's the best. All right, Breck, what about you? Community, I mean, obviously that's a huge one. Uh Yeah. So other than education, right, let's educate everyone about this, this 
dirty little multi-billion dollar secret in, in uh, healthcare. And it's not just on the pharmacy side too. It's also, you know, obviously in the medical and, and the uh, procedures uh, side of things as well uh, and physical therapy, all of that middlemen involved. But I'm all about community pharmacies and not just in our own community, but all over the nation. These community pharmacies provide such a valuable service. Um, that's why we're part of the National Community Pharmacist Association, even though we're not pharmacists. But we, we want to support those independents. There's, there's still about 20,000, 22,000 of them uh, nationwide. And you'll see the big chains buy up three or 400 of them, but then you'll see new ones reopen again. So it kind of ebbs and flows around that 20, 22,000. So we're, we're passionate about helping them stay in business and serve the communities that they're in. Uh, we're passionate about Local First. We're part of Local First Arizona. We want to reestablish the economy right here in our own backyard. And, and that's why, you know, we're offering the, the free COVID uh, testing um, just as a community service. We, wanna, we just want to help businesses get back on their feet and, and reopen again. That's like so nice. See why I love having all you here. <laughs> Kimberly, what about you? You are involved in so many things. Give us a few. Well, professionally, I would say uh, events probably at, at communities and assisted livings and things like that, mostly just for, you know, somewhat connecting, but I mean, for myself, for, for knowledge. And I mean, I always learn something new every time that we, we sponsor any one of those kinds of events for uh, seniors in particular. From business in general, um, I'm a member of, of NABO and Athena uh, Valley of the Sun. So particularly helping other women business owners, because um, I think us lifting each other up is very, very important in this day and age. I've been a CASA for the last three years. It's a court-appointed special advocate for foster kids. Part of the Athena Valley of the Sun, they're going to start a mentor pro, uh, program for high school girls. And I have two daughters, one of which just started high school. So that's a, a very personal um, community project. Oh, and we just recently joined, okay, I'm going to mess this up, 100 Businesses, businesses that, that care. care. <laughs> right. Okay. I didn't totally mess it up. Uh, so the general idea with that is is uh, multiple businesses getting together um, to give to local charities. So, oh, yeah, awesome. we're, we're a member of Local First, too. I forgot about that part. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So many cool things. That's why we're all connected. I love Local First. Kimberly and I first met at Girls Rule Foundation, uh, yeah, helping uh, talk about prevention, right? Let's let's early education and prevent all these things. Talk about it, you know, join these, help these nonprofits, join the community yeah. to be able to help the nonprofits. So I am very thankful for all of your contributions and your hour. Can you believe it's been an hour already today? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> goes by so fast. And Karen just snuck in the studio. So we get to see her afterwards. Karen owns Phoenix Business Radio X uh, and started 100 Businesses That Care that, that Kimberly was just talking about. And I cannot wait to do that with you guys. Uh, but thank you all for joining us today. Really, really uh, beneficial, I hope, for the listeners uh, and guests alike. And uh, you've been listening to... Con I was going to say conscious capitalism. How about that? <laughs> my other my other donation time, right? <laughs> You've been listening to Collaborative Connections radio show and podcast sponsored by KLM Consulting. 
get things done by outsourcing what you don't love with KLM. Until next time, happy connecting. Mm-hmm.